whenever I speak here, which is from time to time, I'm speaking on the series in Moses, or at least in the book of Exodus at the moment, we're following the story of Moses. And uh, I've just been asked to introduce myself, so my name is Terry Virgo. Um, I was last week, or at least the last few weeks, been away in the USA and spoke at a, a, a number of places, and one or two of you said, how did it go? Uh, it went great, thank you. And uh, particularly the first church, which was the one that invited me initially, in the town of 120,000, they have a congregation of 9,000. So they had a nine o'clock meeting, when it was utterly packed, and I thought, oh, I see the early one's the popular one. And then there was a second meeting, and that was utterly packed. <laughs> and uh, it was wonderful. In the middle of the worship, they just said, uh, We'd have, uh, they just gave some testimonies of people who'd recently been healed. And then they said, if you'd like to be healed, would our prayer team come down? And dozens and dozens of people stood across the front. And they said, now if you have any kind of healing, this you'd like. I think it must have been dozens of scores of people came forward and just threaded through to people praying for them. And they carried on worshipping. And then there was the preach. And they did it again, the second meeting. I thought, wow, it was a lovely ministering to people out of the love of Jesus. And it's just great to be there. Then I went to see our people and uh, I was in four different locations. So, and sorry, I won't be at Ashburnham with you next weekend because I'm going to be at one of the other of the three celebrations that are taking place. Uh, one down in uh, West Point and the other one at Newark. So I'm at the Newark one uh, speaking. So there's three different big celebrations happening uh, next weekend. So I hope you have a super time at Ashburnham, but we'll be at another one. Okay, so I'm in Exodus and... Uh, Exodus and chapter 17. May the rain not fall on either of us, okay? Exodus chapter 17. So following the story of Moses, we come to what it says in verse 8. Exodus 17 verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men who go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary so that they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady till the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful truth. We thank you for all that it teaches us. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for the great things we've been able to sing out to you, things that thrill our hearts, the wonder of forgiveness, mercy, kindness, steadfast love, the wonder of knowing God. Father, we thank you for all these things. We ask you right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, for the help of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, as we look into your word together, you will be our teacher you will feed us with truth. You will help us on our journey. Lord, come and fortify us with truth, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, we're following the story of Moses because the Bible says all these things were written down for our encouragement. So these are real history. These are things that actually happened, but they're recorded for followers of the way. Early Christians were called followers of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, and then these Christians were quickly called followers of the way. We're kind of on a journey. We're following the Lord Jesus. And we find here these men have been following, these men and women, this people of God had come out from Egypt, some two million people rescued. They've been rescued, and now they're being led. Uh, we've read about how they were guided by the cloud of glory. They were fed when they were hungry. Water was supplied to them. And then suddenly, we read here today about an enemy comes against them. It's their first experience of conflict. Then following God, suddenly they are in a conflict situation, not one they started, one that came against them. Suddenly Amalek came against Israel. And uh, it's the, a, a kind of wake-up call to the reality that as we follow God, there will be times when we hit conflict. We will be attacked. And that's what happened to them on this occasion. Now the detail of the story, actually, I will get into in two weeks' time. Uh, I'm going to look at this in two sections. So the first time I want to just wake us up to the reality of conflict. This is part of being a Christian, that we head into times of conflict, times when we feel ourselves being attacked. And so uh, we just need to be aware of that. Some of the great Bible heroes, as was prayed a moment or two ago, uh, were actually not philosophers or dreamers, but fighters. So the Bible sort of celebrates people like Joshua who fought and Gideon who fought, and David who took out Goliath, and even Nehemiah who wanted to be a city builder who found that if you're going to build a city, you not only need a trowel for building, you need a sword for defending yourself because doing the work of God gets you into conflict. It gets you into battles that you don't particularly want. Nehemiah didn't want to be a fighter, he just wanted to build a city. But when you start serving God, you find you get hostility. And of course, that's more and more true when the culture becomes more and more anti-Christian. And of course, we're living in such days. We're living in days where Christianity is not so much applauded and respected, but increasingly hostile. We find, yes, we are in a hostile situation. When Gladstone became Prime Minister, the liberal leader of the nation, his Christian commitment was honoured and applauded. Uh, when more recently, Tim Farron became the leader of the Liberal Party, the fact that he was a Christian was in the papers several days running, attacking, how can a Christian, how can an evangelical Christian? And so suddenly, whereas in uh, Gladstone's day, oh yes, honourable Christian, now the culture has so changed that to be a Christian is to be out of step, and to often find yourself in a conflict situation which used not to be the case, and increasingly so. And I, I would say for the next generation, our children in the school, in the classroom, they're going to find often they're in very real conflict situations if they are following Jesus in any sense of reality, that Jesus is my Lord, that's going to lead to a lot of comeback. Now, that's always been the way we follow a leader who was publicly executed. We are in a conflict situation simply by being on a journey that he dictates. We're out of step with society. So conflict shouldn't really be a huge surprise to us. 
It's just part of the deal. It will happen, and it will be worse from one situation to another. Sometimes around the world today, people are losing their lives because they follow Jesus. People in the Sudan, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. That's the end of your life. For me, when I was at work and became a Christian, all I got was Virgo's got religion. And, uh, you know, just a mockery, a little bit of uh, joking with me. Uh, you know, that was pretty mild compared with what can happen. But it is getting more and more hostile. We do get atheistic attitudes that are more and more hostile, more and more angry with the faith. Now, the Bible says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world. He loved this hostile world. But within a verse or two, it says this, light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. So Jesus came, yes, he came as the Savior, but he came as the light of the world. When light shone, darkness became apparent, and people hated that sudden exposure. Again, our news this last week, Ashley Madison website, which glories in this phrase, life is short, have an affair, which reflects something of our culture today. Life is short, have an affair. And suddenly it's been hacked, and suddenly names are in the open, and people fear because suddenly light has shone in, and people don't want light when their deeds are evil. That's what Jesus, Jesus came to shed light. Jesus came to bring light. And in a nation that's getting more and more given itself to evil, that light is going to be more and more resisted, more and more opposed. It's just going to be a reality. When I was in the USA uh, some weeks ago, the people in the States were saying to me, what does England feel about our recent change of law in America? Did you expect that? What, did you think, what do you think is happening in America now? This awareness that in the West there's a drift away from Christian values, there's a drift away from biblical realities, is becoming more and more real, and people are more and more aware of it. It's not the case in many other great nations where the churches are growing and multiplying, but in the West at the moment, increasingly conflict. And that's going to be the case with the next generation more and more. Jesus said quite simply, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. That's just a simple truth. Now, how do we fight this? It says, uh, Moses said to Joshua, go and fight. Go and fight. They're coming against us. Go and fight. So how do we fight? What are our instructions? Jesus surprises us with his instructions to us, how we fight those who come against us. He absolutely amazed his followers. He said things like this. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said, you should love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It's an extraordinary reversal, quite foreign to anything that one would find in the Old Testament. An amazing, dramatic switch. I once heard a rabbi in conversation on the radio, and he was talking about, we turn the other cheek. And he said, no, 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 that's in your New Testament. That's not in our Old Testament. Our Old Testament says an eye for an eye. Jesus brought a radical different message. 
pray for those who persecute you. He said, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. And so we get this phenomenal way of responding to attack in the New Testament. It's so very clear. Again, in Romans 12, Paul says this, reflecting Jesus' values. He says, don't be overcome with evil, overcome evil with good. Again, he says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, give him a drink. When Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile in return as an example. So we find that Jesus taught us, hey, you don't retaliate. When there's an enemy, when you get hit, when there's obstacles, you don't retaliate. You don't fight back in the way that we might have thought was a typical answer to hostility. Jesus, in fact, was a friend of sinners. He ate and drank with sinners. In fact, so much so that the religious people were offended, horrified, horrified that he would be willing to be seen with people who were hostile to godliness, hostile to righteousness. They were sinners. I mean, these religious leaders said, don't get anywhere near them. I wouldn't. They kind of gathered their robes around them, kept away from these sinners. Jesus ate with them, sat with them, talked with them. He says, oh, you're a wine-bibber. You mix with you're a glutton. You sit with them. Jesus loved to be close to sinners. It says this, the common people heard him gladly. Jesus was able to bridge this hostility to himself, although there would have been in the mix of it those who didn't want to hear and yet somehow attracted to him. That was the same with John the Baptist. When John the Baptist came, he came preaching phenomenal righteousness. He came exposing all sorts of stuff and it says the people poured out to hear him. They wanted to hear him and gradually people were saying, oh, you must baptize me, I need to change. There's something amazingly attractive when God brings his good news to us, even though our first reaction might be that we didn't want to hear it. And we, may must, we must remember it says this, when we were enemies, Christ died for us. Every one of us in this room who may say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, once upon a time was an enemy. There was a time we didn't want to know. It's not we were born with a kind of religious bent. It's not, oh, well, I'm just religious anyway. No, 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 we were hostile. We didn't want to know that sort of stuff. And there came a moment. There came a moment when we heard it and we were amazed by it. I love asking people, how did you come to Christ? I'm asking, whenever I meet people, I often wait for that opportunity. How did you become a Christian? I asked someone last week in the church I was in, how did you become a Christian? And uh, he said, well, I was at a meeting and I thought, is this possible? I don't know if I agree with it. I'm not quite. And he said, I knelt by my bed. And I said, if there's a God there, can I know you? He said, I suddenly felt this heat coming upon me. So I started perspiring, and I started speaking in tongues. <laughs> I mean, this guy who said, I don't know if I know you're there or not. And every one of us, beloved, we used not to be friends of God. We used to be enemies, and God shows us incredible favor. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. When we were least attractive, when we, we didn't want to know. And from the cross, he says, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, when he's stoned to death, he says, don't lay this into their charge. You think, what is going on here? How come these people are giving away mercy when stones are beating down them? Jesus is having his hands hammered to a cross. He's like, forgive them, forgive them. What's going on here? This is heaven coming with mercy and grace to rebel sinners, people who would fight against him. He came to his own. They spat on him. They slapped him. And he loved them and poured out his life. He says, now follow me. How do we fight then? We fight by loving, showing mercy, showing kindness, bringing good news 
to people. That's how we are to react. And also we need to understand something else, which I want to open up to you further. Paul says this in Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul speaks about schemes of the devil, flaming darts of the evil one. So we need to understand, yeah, we don't fight against flesh and blood. People may oppose you, may ridicule you in the office, in the workplace, or your own family. I remember my father saying to me, stop taking this religion so seriously. You may hit all kinds of resistance, but we don't retaliate. We love people. We realize there's a blindness. There's a, a not knowing about God yet. They haven't discovered the reality of God yet. So their inclination is to resist and maybe to take it out on you. But we don't take it out on them in reverse. We don't hit back. And we remember what Paul says. Our battle isn't ultimately there. Our battle is in a spiritual realm. Our battles against principalities and powers. The Bible teaches that there is not only a God who is good, but there is an enemy who is evil and hostile. And even in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught, deliver us from the evil one. That's one of the things Jesus told us to pray. There's an evil one. There is a, a, a malicious, hostile enemy who will come against us. And he will fight and we're called upon to resist him. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. All right, so Joshua went out with a sword. And we'll come back to that next week in more detail. But we're told fight. When, yes, we have to fight. If you want to succeed in the Christian life, there are battles to be fought. Not with human beings, but there are battles to be fought with spiritual forces, that's what Paul is saying, that come against us. We have to fight. If we don't fight, we'll be in trouble. If we don't fight, we can be overcome. If we don't fight, we can be taken out for a season. And it's important for us that we know how to fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you're called. If we don't take that seriously, we need to understand the Bible shows that our enemy is very strong, right? So when God created the heavens and the earth, we're told that he created man in his likeness and image. He said it's good. Everything was good. The garden was good. Creation was magnificent. And there's human life. And then we're told the enemy came and was so strong he could take out this one made in the image and likeness of God. He could take him out. That's how powerful our enemy is. That Adam could be spoiled. That Adam could be undermined. This creation of God, this beautiful creation, this beautiful human being, he could be taken out. The enemy was that powerful. We find that Judas, we're told Judas, who betrayed Jesus, we're told this, Satan entered his heart. He gave himself, and then Satan entered his heart. There was a conflict that was inspired by Satan. Satan could take out one of the 12. Someone who's with Jesus every day for three years, listening to his amazing teaching, watching his beautiful life, seeing amazing miracles and signs and wonders, and yet Satan could get in there and take him out. 
We find that Satan could come to Peter. We find Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan's desire to have you, that he can just take you out. He wants to shake you up. He wants to really deal with you. We find that Ananias, in the midst of revival, it says this, in the midst of hundreds are being saved, thousands are being saved. The power of God is incredibly present. And yet, Ananias, it says, Satan filled his heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand he's strong. We have an enemy who's very strong. We have to learn about that. We have to be aware of that. And so some people would simplify Christianity. They would say, well, you just come to Jesus and you just let go and you let God. That's not what the feel of the Bible is. The Bible has this element to it of conflict, of wrestling, of fighting, of resisting. And so he's strong. Secondly, he's subtle. He's called that ancient serpent. He's subtle. He, he, he disguises himself sometimes as, a, as an angel of light, we're told. Satan comes as an angel of light. He comes hiding. He's not kind of phoning your secretary saying, can I have an appointment next Wednesday? I want to do some tempting. You know, he's, he comes subtly. He comes when we're not expecting him. We find that when Jesus is setting his face to go to the cross, and Simon Peter says, you mustn't do that. That's so dangerous. Look, Jerusalem's a dangerous place for you to be. Remember what happened when we were there last time? Don't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus says what? Oh, thanks, friend. I'm so glad you think about me. Now, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. See, sometimes someone's saying, don't go the hard way. Well, that's so lovely. It's so kind. Actually, no, it's a subtle work of Satan. It's a trick. It's a snare. So we have to be discerning. He's a very subtle. He's, he's powerful and he's very subtle. He can disguise himself as a friend who's trying to engage with you, trying to get on your side, trying to get you to do certain things. No, no, don't, don't. It's Satan. So he's a very subtle enemy. He's also, we're told, the father of lies and a liar from the beginning. He doesn't necessarily have to play by the truth at all. He will bombard you. You see, it says they were making this journey, and suddenly Amalek came against them. Suddenly, there's conflict. Sometimes there's another force, there's an alien force coming against them. And Satan will come against us, and uh, he'll use weaponry. We're told he's the father of lies. He will lie to you. He will lie to you. Now, it's interesting, when Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great teacher at Westminster Chapel who was probably the greatest preacher in this country, maybe the world to be honest, in the last century, phenomenal preacher. And he came to, he was going, working his way through Ephesians and came to Ephesians chapter 6. He was taking years, he used to do this. And uh, when he came to Ephesians 6, he took what now takes a whole book on what he calls the Christian warfare. And then he comes on to another book called The Christian Soldier. And he takes a whole book which was originally preaching, but now in book form, to talk about the conflict that we find in our hearts. And he's got chapters on depression, chapters on anxiety, chapters on fear of the future. And all these things, that we kind of think, well, they're just normal life. They're just, you know, it's things people, everybody faces these things. He says, no, 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 you understand, we have an enemy who wants to hit you and overwhelm you and make you feel inadequate, that you can't cope. How can I handle this? These circumstances are too scary. And he takes a whole book to talk about the warfare. Then he comes on the next chapter to talk about the rest of Ephesians 6. So put on the armor. 
put on this whole armor that God's provided. There's a shield, there's a breastplate, there's shoes, there's a, there's a the belt to be girded. He said, if you don't understand the conflict, you won't bother to put on the arm, armor. And if you think Christianity is for sailing through, you won't bother, you won't take seriously these things. And so he took week after week after week showing that Christians are very vulnerable to a lying enemy who comes to you and, and sometimes you just think, well, it's, you're just reflecting on things in your mind. A man called Dean Sherman wrote a superb book on spiritual warfare and he said this, most spiritual warfare takes place in the individual's human mind. There was a time when spiritual warfare was the in thing. And I remember probably 20 years ago now, spiritual warfare. And people were encouraged to go and research their town, find what its history was, then go up at a high spot on a hill overlooking the town and curse the enemy, you know. He says, no, most spiritual warfare is in the human mind. It's not clouds going over churches. It's not spooky and weird. It's things that you find yourself thinking that gets into your emotions and makes you feel, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can keep this up. Because he'll lie to you. He'll lie to you about yourself. He'll say, you are useless. You're, you haven't got what it takes to keep up the Christian life. He'll, he'll say things like that to you. Because he's a liar. And he's one of these other names is accuser. And so he will constantly bombard you with what Paul calls flaming arrows or fiery darts, depends which translation you use. It's these arrows that they used to plunge into fire. If you saw the amazing movie, The Gladiator, the best part is the first quarter of an hour, <laughs> where you see these arrows, and the arrows that can plunge into you. And that's what, I say, that's what he's talking about. That's the practice that they had. And the shield of faith used to be leather-covered, and they would soak the shields in water to cope with these flaming darts. But Satan will try and hit you with fear, with anxiety, what's going to happen to us, and he'll tell you lies. He'll say, you haven't got what it takes. He'll say, you're alone. He'll say, nobody cares. These things that you will think, well, they're just my reflections. They're my thoughts. But the Bible says, no, no, you have an enemy and there's a battle going on in your mind as you take these things and don't listen to what God says in terms of his answer to this. He'd tell you lies about God. He'd say, God doesn't care for you. He'd say, God can't help you. God has lost interest in you. See, if he can, if he can destroy your understanding of who God is, it's been said in the meeting this morning how we love the names of God. Because each one of these names tells us something about God, how reliable He is, how faithful He is. How we, we love singing out how faithful, how kind. And the more, we, the more we worship, beloved, the more we draw near to this God and look at Him and declare who He is and express our confidence in Him. That's why our worship together is so fundamental, beloved. That when you gather, we gather as the church of the living God and we celebrate these amazing things that we know about Him. And if we don't, we, we will find ourselves robbed 
So the church gathered to worship this phenomenal God will fortify you for the battles you fight at the office where they're mocking you and when you're feeling, I'm not very good Christians anyway, I'm shocking at witnessing, I don't see my... And, and he will hit you and say, no, you are bad at it. And you're not a very good mother either. Look what's happening to your kids. And you say, oh, oh, oh. But as we lift our heads again and we think, no, no, you are wonderful, you're faithful, you're gracious. Beloved, when you're worshipping, you are doing spiritual warfare. You are declaring the things I truly know to be the case. And you're not just reflecting on them, you're singing them out. You're making a statement. This is who my God is. This is what he's like. That's why it's so great to have the sort of songs we've had this morning. Songs that focus on God and his faithfulness. Sadly, sometimes we go to church and we sing silly little things about nothing much. About me. We need to, the more you look at God, the more you focus on him, the more you celebrate it in song. We're saying, no, I'm standing on this ground. This is where I stand. This is who we are. This is the church of the living God. And it's not close your eyes and escape into unreality. It is stepping into the light and the truth of what we actually know. It's so important, beloved. So we, he's the father of lies. He lies about God. He lies and God can't harm, help you. He lies to you about your friends. And sometimes people get into real bondage. They feel he doesn't really like you. He's really not for me. You get into all sorts of things. I know he said that, but what was he trying to get? What was he trying to get at? And sometimes, as a pastor, you find yourself talking to people, and, and they've got into a real mess with this. Well, I know he said that, but what do you think he really meant? And I came into the room the other day, and they were all talking together. And when I came in, they looked round, and I know they were talking about me. So how do you know? Well, and people can get so troubled. And they don't realize they are the subject of spiritual warfare because they've become to read everything in that light. They begin to think, hey, what's happening? These are fiery darts, suspicion, fear. And then sometimes circumstances, there's no, I can't see any way through. See, there's no way through. It's impossible. And, and that's Satan trying to scare us. Well, I'm just at the mercy of events. Just the way it turned out. Is that what it says in the Bible? <laughs> no, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say that we're fragments of trash being taken down the river. It says we're delightful to God. He orders our steps. He's our shepherd. He'll care for us. But if we don't take those truths and hold them against these darts, we will be taken out. We'll be full of fear. We'll just be like the man who doesn't know God. Like A.W. Tozer says, we get born again. We believe when we die, we'll go to heaven. And in the middle, we're pro-term atheists. We're not trusting him. We're not believing him. We're not feeding on the word. When Satan came against Jesus, Jesus said, it is written. He withstood him with truth. He, he withstood him with what he knew to be the truth. And so we have to fight by getting hold of truth. He'll try and invade even marriages. I don't know if she loves me anymore. I don't think he loves me like he used to. Terrible fears, undermining relationship. He will do that. He will make you feel desperately alone in the midst of your marriage. Where you're looking for companionship, you're looking for love, and, and yet you're beginning to doubt. And you think, it's, well, it's us. Well, Satan will get under the skin. He'll undermine. He'll... 
He'll rob you of your peace and joy. You'll feel there's no way through. Now, imagine this. This David, David, who came against Goliath. And Goliath's strutting around, great giant, and David's a teenager, just takes him out. Later on, he says this, one day I'll die at the hands of Saul. What's happened to David? Well, you take out giants. No, one day I shall die at the hands of Saul. See, Satan's got under his skin. He actually needed a brother, need Jonathan to say to him, now come on, you're going to be king. He had to come above that work. The accuser, he'll bring fear, he'll bring depression, self-pity, anxiety, jealousy, inward panic. It's like a cruel arrow that burns. And sometimes when you're at night trying to sleep and you can't sleep because the arrow's burning, it's really troubling you. It's getting under your skin. So how do we overcome this? Well, we fight, all right? Let's just see this. We haven't got time to go right through Ephesians 6. So let's just quickly look at what Paul says to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the salvation to which you were called. Lay hold of what God has promised you. Lay hold of what that to which you were called. He says in Timothy, he saved and called us with a heavenly calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. All right, so let's bear that in mind. How do we fight? Fight the good fight of faith. Where, where, where does faith, where does the fight, what realm does it work in? It works in the realm of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. All right, that's the sphere where the battle is fought. And Paul is saying that. The battle is fought in the sphere of faith. In the Old Testament, get your sword out. New Testament, right, you're going to fight in the realm of fight the good fight of faith. How? Lay hold of the life that you were called to. And what is that called? Well, it's not according to your works, but according to his heavenly purpose. So it's a call of grace. So when the enemy comes against us and says, you're no good, you're useless. No, no, I, I resist by faith because I've been called not according to my works. When Satan says, you're useless, we don't say, well, I'm trying harder. No, say, no, 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 I wasn't called according to my works anyway. I was calling according to his grace. And it says quite deliberately, it's not my works. He didn't, when, when Simon Peter came through, and, and he did, Jesus didn't pray that night, say, oh, Father, I found a real stunning young guy this time. Whew, he's so impressive. I mean, I'm so glad. I've done well, Lord. I've got a really good one. And uh, he, wow, what a guy. And then later, Simon Peter comes and thinks, what about, I didn't know you'd fail me. You're a wreck. I didn't, I, he's not such a good guy after all. No, no, no. He, he saved him not according to his works, but according to his eternal purpose. Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, you're going to be Peter. I'm going to build on this. See, he's not shocked that Peter's weak as water. He knew that when he called him. So, beloved, we've got to learn to, to resist Satan by, by saying, hey, no, no, he called me not according to my works. When he says you're useless, you're no good, you'll never be a good Christian, you're a terrible mother. You, no, no, listen, it's not according to how good I am. It's according to his grace, not my works. 
So, beloved, you have to get militant. You have to stand your ground. If we went through Ephesians 6, put out the shield, get out this, do that. We don't just rest through it. We don't just lie back. We fight. Beloved, if we don't fight, you'll lose. Serious. If you do fight, you can win. Fight the good fight of faith. We lay hold of this life, which is not according to our works, but according to His purpose. His purpose. Next week, we'll look more detail about how Moses picked up the rod of God. You know, the enemy seems to be overwhelming them. But what did the rod of God stand for? It's God's covenant. God, God found Moses in these nobodies, in a shepherd with a few sheep. So what's that in your hand? It's a stick. Throw it down. Becomes a snake. <laughs> Take it up. Wow, it's a rod again. And somehow this rod represents God's covenant commitment. So when he goes to the Red Sea, puts it out, it opens up. Wow, God's with us. God's with us. God's not going to fail us. So Joshua, go and fight, and he lifts up the covenant purpose of God. What, what covenant? He chose me in eternity. He's not going to abandon me now. He's not going to say, oh, I hit a situation I can't get through. There's no Gideon, I know there's crowds of them, but I chose you. Joshua, I know the wall is strong, but I've told you you're going to take Jericho. The battle is faith. The realm is faith. That's where all these battles are won. It's through believing his eternal purpose, his call. Let me just quote Lloyd-Jones as I close. He says this, faith is an activity. It's something that has to be exercised. It doesn't come into operation itself. You and I have to put it into operation. It's a form of of activity. Faith is an activity. This is such a helpful insight. We're so used to things being automatic, aren't we? You know, you come through the supermarket, you're weighed down with your trolley, and the, day, the door's shut. And I go come down now and I open it and go back to the trolley. No, 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 we're used to this, aren't we? At the, at the airport, at the supermarket, you walk and hey, look, woo, it just works. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's just automatic. And Lloyd-Jones says, faith is not automatic. It's not like, oh, we've got a problem. Oh, we'll sail through. No, no, you, it's not automatic. You have to apply it. You have to apply it. You have to put it into operation, is his phrase. It is a form of activity. You see, you engage with it. Satan says, you're locked in. There's no way through. This is hopeless. Now what on earth is going to happen? We are, oh, no, 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 no. You apply. You don't say, oh, that's it then. I'm finished. No, no, no. You, you apply your faith. God's called me. See, all of these great Bible heroes, Goliath fell because David trusted God. The Jericho walls are saying, you've had it. That's as far as you go. But by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Gideon, you're outnumbered. By faith, he overcame them. We are called to be believers. That's the invitation. Follow me. I'll make you. Follow me. Trust me. Put your confidence in me. And sometimes, hey, that's where we started. Yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus now. And then there came, yeah, maybe some horrible arrow that got right through. 
And what we could do is either we kind of throw in the towel and say, oh, I can't keep up this Christianity. It's too hard being a Christian. It's too difficult. Or we just become Stoics. We just put up the British stiff upper lip and try and make it through in our willpower. That's not the realm. That's not the realm. The realm you fight in is faith. If we just try and make it by our personality, by stealing our teeth, say, I'm not going to give in, you are failing, actually, because you're not winning the battle of faith. Faith says, I'm trusting you, Lord, in the midst of this. I'm putting my confidence in you. You're my savior. You're my deliverer. We sing it. You're my deliverer. In you will I trust. And then we hit the problem. Think, oh, I'm going to get through this. And God wants us to know, fight the good fight of faith. You will be attacked. You'll be attacked by an unbelieving generation. I think it's going to get fiercer. It'll be fierce for our children. I'm so glad that so many went to New Day where they can stand with thousands of other children who believe God together. But sadly, in a few weeks' time, they may be the only one in the class when they go back to school. They'll be ridiculed. They'll be opposed. They've got to learn. Now, you don't fight these people. You love them. You pray for them. You try and be friendly with them. You stay clear. You stay honest till the time comes when people say, hey, when I share things with her, she doesn't gossip. There's something about her. And suddenly you'll find, hey, people begin to turn, begin to turn, because we're not fighting them back. Oh, well, I think this. No, 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 no. Let's win. Let's, let's do what Jesus did, what Jesus taught. But in the spiritual warfare where Satan comes at you, we've got to say, no, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to lay hold of God has called me to, according to his purpose, not according to my works, but his eternal purpose. He planned for me from ages past. Back in history, back in before history, he knew us. He called us. He's not going to abandon us. How come he suddenly hit a problem when he's loved us for eternity? We stand strong in what we know, and we fight the good fight of faith. Let's stand to pray, and then we're going to sing. Perhaps the band will come up. Let's just draw near to him. Maybe, maybe I've just touched on something you're feeling at the moment. We're all in some kind of conflict. There are moments of battle. There are moments of apparent peace. There come seasons where we feel very hit. time just to draw near to God. And if, if you know that I, I got my eyes off him, I, and you just need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I, I repent from my fear. He says, don't fear. He says, don't steal. So you, you wouldn't think of stealing. He says, don't fear. Come to him, say, I'm sorry, Lord. I was I let this get through. I let the arrow get through to me. Lord, I will stand on what you say is true. I'm going to stand this ground. I'm going to win this fight. Will you do that? Is it up to you, really? Fight. Will you fight? Fight with the help of God, with the truth of God, with the comfort of the Holy Spirit.
Lord, we just come to you right now. Lord, we come a little flock before you this morning. Everyone treasured by you. Everyone your prize. Everyone your delight. Everyone handpicked, not because we were impressive, but because of your eternal purpose. And Father, we just express again our confidence in you to bring us through, to bring us through the things we can't see our way through at the moment, bring through our sense of failure, just to bring us through, because Lord, we will trust you, that you are enough for us, and that Lord Jesus, you won't abandon your plans, which go back into eternity. Thank you, Lord. Help us to fight this good fight. Bless us, Lord, as we go on from this meeting and into this coming week. Make us more than conquerors through your love, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.